Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, another lesson in our Bible Institute. And uh, obviously things are a little different right now. We're in the middle of this uh, the coronavirus situation. So we're we're, uh, we're shooting these. I'm actually shooting these in my office. So you, you might see my cat moving around in the back and uh, it'll be a little different. But our, our Bible Institute, we weren't, we're, we're pressing in. We're keeping it going. We have more students uh, joining all the time. I think we're doing 1,055 students now all over the world, which is pretty exciting. And uh, and if you haven't uh, registered yet, a really good idea, I think, to register for classes. You can earn an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree. One of the things I keep telling the people to do this time is to make sure you're learning something new. Uh, we've got some extra time, and so that's an area we can press in. We'll be pressing in in prayer. We'll be talking more about that on the weekend. Um, but just continuing to learn, and, and Bible is a great thing to learn. And we're in the Old Testament right now. Um, this is our third of our Old Testament surveys that we're doing here in the vineyard. And um, really, we're kind of talking about the prophets in this uh, in this third uh, sort of uh, course. And last week, we, we were... Um, Talking about Daniel, um, we've been talking about the Babylonians and the, the exile in, in Babylon and what that looks like. And um, there was a party at the end of chapter five, if you remember, where the king at the time was having a party. And uh, while he was having this party, uh, Cyrus was actually leading an army to attack Babylon. And by the end of that night, um, uh, the, the Persians had come and, and they had taken over. And so now we have a new reign uh, uh, that's going on here. The Babylonians are out. The Persians are in. And um, with that in mind, we're, we move into Daniel chapter six, which is a famous chapter. It's the chapter of the lion's den. Um, you're going to hear about Cyrus and Darius, both kings of Persia, different times, um, you know, but closely collected, uh, connected. And, uh, and so Cyrus came in and took over. Now Darius uh, is king uh, of, of the Persians. So uh, in Daniel 6, uh, beginning in verse 1, and I think I'll read a big chunk of this chapter, because what happens is uh, Darius likes Daniel and appoints him into a leadership position, and the, the rest of those people that are in charge don't care that that's happening with Daniel. They don't like it at all. So verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O king, Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree to anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went up to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. 
So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent that night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So it's an amazing story. You know, he's uh, Daniel's delivered from the lion's den after he's put there by Darius. And it's a, you know, it's really a great story of um, making sure that we stay uh, true to the Lord, that no matter what's going on around us uh, in the world, that, that we're God's people and we continue to pray and to press in and to trust him and that he's got us in every situation, that he's with us and for us. And, and um, in the same way that, that he was able to, deliver Daniel. He's able to deliver us. And, and certainly, you know, we have, we have the ultimate deliverance in Christ, right? We, we know that we are, um, forever his, that we're, we're going to live with God in eternity. We often talk, um, at the vineyard about, you know, the, the hope we have, the ultimate hope we have in the renewal of all things. And even though we deal with difficult situations now, as, as is obvious, that hope, you know, is with us, that God's got us and he's for us and that we're going to be with him forever. And, um, in an amazing renewed way. And I love to think about that when, when there is no more sickness and there is no more death and we are new, uh, we have new physical bodies and we get to um, in a, in a recreated earth, if you would, uh, you know, a, a, a renewed earth, we get to live forever um, the way that we were originally intended um, way back before the fall. And, and God will be with us and dwell with us. And we have those promises and, and uh, I, I like to see these stories of the faithfulness of God throughout the scripture because God is faithful. And, and I want you to know that, that even in this situation that we're in now, God is faithful. God's got us. 
and that we can trust him and that, that he's with us. And so Daniel trusted in God and, and God saw him through. Um, and so we, we know that about Daniel. Now, as the, the book of Daniel continues on, another neat thing in Daniel chapter nine, and I like this about the scripture is that apparently Daniel has the book of Jeremiah. Daniel has the book of Jeremiah. Back where he's there, Daniel 9, 1 and 2, it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according of the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So um, Daniel thinks that that uh, uh, this 70-year number is how long the exile is going to last. But but actually, there's more to it than that. And this is one of those fascinating studies that I, I, I don't have time to um, go into here, but that I would encourage you to take some time to study. And, and I want you to study uh, and go and look for and, and do some, you know, Google research, if you would, or get into some commentaries or whatever. And, and in particular, I want you to look at the the 70, um, the 77s that our Daniel talks about. In Daniel 9, 25 through 27. Uh, and so it, it appears that the, the original prophecy that Jeremiah gave needed to be interpreted just a little bit different. It wasn't it was 70 years. It was 70 weeks of years um, or ultimately 490 years. But if you'll go and study in Daniel 9, 25 through 27, you'll find that um, uh, Daniel prophesies the date um, of uh, the crucifixion of Jesus almost to the day, some people would say. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of work done on this by Sir Isaac Newton. So um, he spent a lot of time researching this. Let me read you the passage, Daniel 9, 25 through 27. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So most commentators would agree that the most holy and Messiah in this prophecy occur, refer to Jesus. Then the cutoff refers to his death at the crucifixion and that weeks there refers to weeks of years. And um, and so it's fascinating when you start to do this sort of thing. So um, the, you could search for, you know, 70 weeks prophecy if you want on Google and all sorts of results are going to come up. But uh, but, you know, test them. Some are some are really good. Some are some are not so great. Um, but it's an interesting, interesting study of how it works. And uh, like I said, I, I, I really enjoyed reading the work of Sir Isaac Newton and his interpretation. And uh, he actually thinks that he gets it to the day or extremely close, which is, is fascinating in the process. Um, it sort of depends on the, the day you pick for the, the beginning date of that decree and which decree it is. But um, read through the studies and, and you're going to you're going to see um, in the book of Ezra is where they think the date comes in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, which is Ezra seven, seven. Um, 
that that sort of gives us the the right sort of time on the day at 458 BC. We know that historically. And then if you do the the years moving forward, it will take you right to the date of the crucifixion, either being in AD 33 or 34. Now, just fascinating to look at and to study and read. And I think that would be an excellent point of study for you. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. Take some time to do that uh, as you study this lesson. And so the, the book of Daniel kind of runs from 605 B.C. to 536 B.C. And then then we get into the book of Ezekiel. Um, Daniel was taken to Babylon in the in the first invasion, which was 605 B.C. Ezekiel is actually taken to Babylon in the second invasion, which is 598-597 B.C. Uh, Ezekiel is an interesting uh, prophet. He actually is usually he sort of acts out um, prophecies in front of people and um and then, and God tells him to talk to people whether or not um, they listen isn't the issue. But he's supposed to talk to people because he sort of says nobody ever listens. But, but that's not the issue. And we have to remember that too, that, that we're ambassadors of good news. We're told to go and to continue to talk to people and, and, uh, and let people know the amazing good news we have. And, and, um, even though sometimes it feels like they're not listening, that's the, our, the, our deal is that we, we continue to find ways to help people to hear and accept and understand what's going on. Um, Seventy times throughout the book of Ezekiel, the uh, the phrase, I will know, they will know that I am Jehovah is used. So be looking for that as you continue through uh, Ezekiel. And uh, Ezekiel has some fascinating prophecies. Uh, um, you can, you know, in chapter one is all about how he's called and things that he sees. Um uh, let me uh, let me uh, read you a part of chapter two, the calling of Ezekiel, verse one. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet. I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. He said, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house. They will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And then I looked and I saw his hand stretched out to me, and in it was a scroll which he unfolded before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. So, uh, so here you, you see the calling of Ezekiel and, um, we're, we're be, we're also to be uh, like Ezekiel and to share, um, the gospel, the good news with those people that are around us. And, and, uh, so that's an important part of our calling. And then uh, in Ezekiel 4, you, you get to see the, you know, the siege that's coming um, by Nebuchadnezzar. That's, you know, back in the beginning uh, of what's happening uh, in, in our timeline. It's a sort of the, the second invasion and the first invasions of Babylon, 605 B.C., 597 B.C. And Ezekiel chapter 8, it talks about idolatry in the temple and uh, what they need to do with that. And then. Because of the idolatry and the rebelliousness in Israel, the glory of God begins to um, leave from the temple. If you, if you remember that uh, 
the, in Solomon, the, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Uh, and now here with everything that's going on uh, in Ezekiel 9, you see the departure of the glory. And it kind of happens in these little stages. In Ezekiel 9, 3, it says, The glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. The glory is moving. Chapter 10, verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. Uh, 11, chapter 11, 23. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. So that there you see the glory of the Lord um, leaving the temple. Now, we've talked a lot about the importance of temple and that um, way back in Genesis, you know, we have a sort of a picture of a cosmic temple, a place where heaven and earth meet, um, you know, God and people together. And then the fall messes that up. And then we have an exodus. You know, you see the picture of the tabernacle and there's a place where heaven and earth meet. And that happens. The glory of God is there and then moves into the temple uh, in the time of Solomon. And you have that place. And now um, here with the exile and everything happening, you see the, the glory of the Lord is that, that place is no longer going to exist where heaven and earth meet. And, and that's, a, you know, that's a, a sadness that we know when when Jesus comes. Uh, some some four or five hundred years after what's going on right now, um, there's a place once again where heaven and earth meet, and that's what they're they're waiting for. So it's a significant of what we see here uh, in Ezekiel, and so make sure you take time to read that. And um, Ezekiel 16 is a fascinating chapter. You should read that. Uh, and, and 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 so all of that happens. Read through Ezekiel this week. Um, uh, you know, the hope is that as as people realize that they they no longer have this this connection with God because they've been turning their backs on Him. Um, but but when that happens, um, they're going to realize that significantly, and and that it will the the idea is it will hopefully cause them to repent and to turn and to change. And so that's a big part of what's happening in Ezekiel. At the end of Ezekiel, we're now at about 540 BC. So um, we're kind of continuing to press on. I'm going to end it there for today. And uh, then next week we'll pick it up right, right there and we'll, we'll continue to press on together in this. So let's keep praying. And I'm praying for you. And um, I'm, I'm glad that we can gather virtually. I'm praying for the day when we can all connect again, uh, you know, in our facility. But um, we're, we're thankful for these times right now. Be safe and, and know that I'm praying for you and that I love you. God bless you. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.